Merry Bowl season and welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com and once again I am joined by Kelly Ford. Kelly, we're deep into bowl season now. The first weekend is behind us. Welcome back. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, Brett. Bowl season is always fun and exciting. We get now here, you know, we're through the first weekend. Now we get the weekday games, right? So you flip it on, you're doing work. It's the holiday time. Work's maybe a little slow. You get to flip those things on in the background, and it, uh, it really helps pass the day for sure. So it starts on Monday uh, with a great game. So it's going to be fun, man. I'm excited. Yeah, bowl season is well underway. Let's keep it rolling. Yes, before we get into it all, don't forget to follow the lines on Twitter at the lines US. I am at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here breaking down the entire college football postseason slate, as well as every single bowl game upcoming. Like you said, we've got some midweek bowl action. Uh, three games that we've got on tap covering today. It's been an interesting start, I think, to the bowl games. Uh, you know, can't say, I, I tweeted out, can't say that I handicapped Ohio's freshman running back that was like fifth on the depth chart running for five touchdowns and Georgia St- uh, Southern turned the ball over like 12 times. So, uh, you know, interesting start. We had the rain game in, uh, in Orlando, a whole bunch of things going on. It's certainly been exciting to say the least. Uh, our first matchup on tap, though, the odds makers may not see this one as the most exciting that we have on our bowl slate. It is the Frisco Bowl with UTSA, a 12-point favorite against Marshall. This game carries an over-under of 52.5 points, and it kicks off Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN at Toyota Stadium in Frisco. It's a place I've been to multiple times for my days living in the DFW metro area, including this bowl game in 2021 where UTSA was there the last time playing San Diego State. Let me tell you, UTSA fans travel. They are going to be packing this place. Probably, I don't Probably outnumber Marshall two to one, three to one, maybe. I and San Antonio is not a, a short jog to North Dallas by any stretch, but I do expect UTSA to have a decided fan advantage, almost like a home game in this one here. If we're looking at Marshall, they're without their starting quarterback Cam Fancher, their best offensive lineman's not playing. Starting at quarterback. Cole Pennington, if that sounds familiar to you, that's because he is the son of Chad Pennington, who is also a Marshall great. Cole um, has some big shoes to fill. We'll get into uh, his analysis in a, in a minute here, but they're also missing starting safety. Looks like running back Rasheen Ali will play. I haven't seen anything that uh, says otherwise, but you know, keep your eyes peeled for that uh, as we have just about 24 hours from time we're recording here. Uh, it's been a tough year offensively for Marshall. In their final four losses on the season, they were held to under 10 points each. UTSA, on the other hand, they are top 40 in points per drive allowed. The defense has been playing very well this season. The line has moved heavily in favor of UTSA. They opened at minus 8.5. That was bet to as high as minus 13.5. I saw minus 14 hit before coming back down the other way. This does look like it is going to be the last rodeo for Frank Harris, who's been at UTSA for, I, I don't know, six years, uh, five years. The very Now, I think this is year six for him, and this is probably his last game in a Roadrunner uniform, although I have no idea how long kids can play anymore, so... UTSA, they did manage to turn things around this season. After a 1-3 and three start, they won seven straight before losing their finale to Tulane. It was they had five turnovers. Uh, I remember if you were a T- UTSA backer in that game, you are pulling your hair out. Now, this Cole Pennington kid, uh, no touchdown passes, six interceptions, a 44 passer rating. Uh, you know, Fancher was the definition of average, but, but Pennington has just been atrocious uh, this year. But as we've seen so far in bowl season, 
you know, some, some of these unknown guys who didn't perform very well during the regular season can come in and have a inspired performance. But, uh, the numbers, the film, everything is telling me that, uh, the Cole Pennington kid, not the best option for this bowl game. Brett, uh, his dad, Chad had this guy, I forget his name. Something like Randy Moss. I think someone to throw to out there his year, uh, his years at Marshall. I'm not sure Cole has a Randy Moss on the, uh, receiving chart this weekend, uh, in this bowl game. As for Frank, as for Frank Harris, Brett, though, He's been in college since 2017. Now, he did not play in 2017. He did not play in 2018, but he was on the UTSA roster starting in 2017. It has been seven years of college football for Frank Harris. This is his last rodeo, as you said. Brett, while my model is not optimized for bowl season, I am 5-2 and two straight up right now at time of recording, and this is a game that I actually feel pretty confident about uh, in favor of UTSA. In the preseason, I projected UTSA, the number 54 best team, to go 8-4. and four. Not only did the Roadrunners go 8-4, and four, but they finished the year number 57 in the power ratings, so the model had a really good read on this team from the jump, Brett, and I'm projecting them to get the win in this one. For Marshall, a five-game losing streak in the middle of the season led to what was ultimately a disappointing year. Thundering Herd won one fewer game than expected, and their K-4 power rating fell four and a half points over the course of the season. By my numbers, this is the worst team in Huntington, Brett, since 2016. Yeah, Kelly, when you said it was a disappointing year in Huntington. I, when I can't trust a certain offense, I tend to look at unders. This game is an under play for me. I think UTSA will be able to score, uh, but you know this isn't your Marshall defense that we've seen in the recent past. Uh, but I have serious doubts about how they're going to be able to get on the board. Uh, you know, there's a strong rush defense from the Roadrunners. Ali was held to less than 60 yards three times in the back half of this season. Uh, I just I don't think that we'll get 21 either as a Marshall team total. So I'm fine taking the under 20 and a half team total there. But this is an underplay to me uh, for UTSA and Marshall just because I, I don't think Marshall's going to be able to score, uh, especially without their starting quarterback at play here. Moving forward, we are going to sunny South Florida in the Boca Raton Bowl. We have USF against Syracuse. Uh, the numbers here are a little muddy considering we are recording during uh, just after a pretty large news break that I'll talk about here in a minute. But at the, this minute, Syracuse is a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and this game carries an over under 59 points. Kicks off Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. From FAU Stadium, as the name suggests, it's home of FAU. It's one of 13 uh, FBS stadiums hosting bowls this postseason. We're going to be dealing with a little bit of wind in this game, looking like sustained winds 15 miles an hour, 16 miles an hour with higher gusts. But, Kelly, it, I told you before we hit record, it's a, it's a good thing we're recording at the time that we are because just 10 minutes before hitting this button here, Garrett Schrader News came across that he will not play after undergoing shoulder surgery. It was, before then, pretty static. Syracuse minus three uh, with an over-under of 61. Of course, those have both come down. Now, I think Syracuse goes with Dan Villari, who is a converted tight end, is still playing tight end, wears number 89, I think, for this team. Uh, if he does get that QB1 nod like he did late in the season... This is a much different offense. And I don't mean in success. I mean visually. They're more ground and pound than they already are with short, very high completion throws for Villari, uh, who actually signed with Michigan as a quarterback pro style out of high school. 
Syracuse also turns over their entire uh, coaching staff. Uh, they're making some really sound moves for next year, I think. I liked a lot of their hires, a lot of who they're bringing in here, but uh, this might be a candidate for a team that is just fully checked out. If you don't have uh, your starting quarterback in there, you don't have the coaching staff in there, the kids that will play are probably going to play pretty inspired, especially Valari. I'll talk about him here more in a second, but I think you're going to get high effort out of those teams. But as a cohesive unit, I don't trust it very much, especially when you're going from upstate New York to North Miami, you know, Boca Raton, like you're there for vacation. I'm interested to see if these kids do show up to play the bowl game as hard as they should. Uh, the over was hit really hard after opening at 57 and a half. Of course, that's come back down. But I've said in past videos that I believe a bad defense is a better fix for a bad offense than vice versa. And if you're looking at it, USF is 109th in points per drive allowed. Listen to this, Kelly. 55 points per game in losses this season. That's there's what they are allowing. There's a reason those are losses, Brett. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. terrible. It, well, in, in wins, it's 23 and a half. So when they're winning games, they are playing better defense, but I can't trust this defensive unit as far as I can throw them. And Syracuse, though, they failed to score 30 points between weeks four and 12. They didn't do it once. So like I said, bad defenses are better fixes for bad offenses than the other way around. Um, I'll be up front here. I, I originally bet USF to win this game. I took him with the points. I took him with the money line and over 61 points. But now with this Garrett Schrader news, I think the value falls out of USF. Honestly, if I see this pushing Syracuse plus three or better, I'm probably going to play back on the orange. And, and at that point, that'd be the only play that I would have in this game. Uh, USF is indeed though, playing their first bowl game since 2018. They have the travel edge, and I think this team is playing really hard under Alex Galesh. Great first year. Uh, you know, they have the offensive firepower to play inspired. Um, I still don't hate the over, uh, kind of whatever this number settles on, so I'd be patient. Uh, once it settles, I, I still don't mind playing back the over. This bowl game, Brett, is a perfect encapsulation of why it is so difficult to power rate teams during bowl season. All the things you just talked about, you've touched on almost all the factors that are at play during bowl season, not at play during the regular season. It's very, very tough for handicappers. I know you said you got in there early. You might get in there on the other side, depending on where it lands. This is just, it's such a different game in bowl season. That's why you're so good at it, Brett. I mentioned the five-game losing streak for Marshall uh, in the last preview. Well, Syracuse had their own five-game losing streak after starting 4-0 and this season. This is two years in a row, Brett, that the Orange got off to just a blistering start and couldn't maintain that momentum in the second half of the season. At 6-6, six and six, Syracuse fell about a win short of preseason expectations, and their power rating fell three and a half points over the course of the year. It actually climbed from preseason to where they were after the 4-0 start, and it's plummeted like 10 points since then. So, yeah, the, sec the back half of the year, or really the last two-thirds of the year, just not good for Syracuse. You mentioned their, their scoring funk there from weeks 4 to 12. Yeah, exactly. USF, they had an interesting year. Their power rating is essentially unchanged. They began the year number 108. They're currently ranked number 109. But the Bulls won nearly a game and a half more than projected in the preseason. Now, Brett, that can happen when you go 5-2 and two in games in which you have a pregame win expectancy between 30 and 70%. I mean, that's a rough estimate for the toss-ups. They went 5-2 and two in those toss-up games. It's a nice way to get to bowl eligibility for the first time since 2018, as you said. Yeah, I did promise that I would talk about uh, Valari a little bit. Uh, he, he burst onto the scene against Pitt. 
They used him primarily as a running back. 154 yards and a touchdown. He won, I believe, the National Ground Player of the Week in that game. Then they followed up the next game against Georgia Tech, where he rushed for 81 yards. But more interestingly, he went 14 for 14 passing for just 59 yards. But hey, 14 completions, that's not easy to do. Then he goes into the next game against Wake Forest, in which Garrett Schrader was still the quarterback, but he got some work in there, went two for two, 51 yards, threw a touchdown pass, and uh, had 51 yards rushing. So this kid is he's talented, and, and the offense that they put around him works. Uh, and against USF's defense, especially one that is, uh, I, I think, I, I'm at least going to say outsized by Syracuse's offense, uh, I think they'll be able to get a push here. I also really like this Byron Brown kid on the other side, USF's quarterback. He rushed for almost 1,000 yards while passing for 3,100. He's got 34 combined touchdowns this year, and he really improved as a passer as the season went on. Galesha's system just meshed with this kid. He played really well. I'm very excited to see what he does in Tampa throughout his career. Uh, you know, I'm actually looking to his rushing yards uh, when those eventually are posted. Uh, the Garrett Schrader news, again, is throwing a, a wrench in that. We may not see this until Wednesday night, uh, but I, I think I'm looking over uh, on, on his uh, rushing yards there. Syracuse gives up big-time work to opposing rushing quarterbacks. All right, the final bowl game that we have on tap for you here today, we have the Gasparilla Bowl between Georgia Tech and UCF. UCF is a four-and-a-half-point favorite, and this game carries an over-under of 67 points. Kicks off Friday night at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN from Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. Yeah, I, I didn't include it in the one of 13 FBS stadiums because... Ray J, that's uh, that's an NFL stadium that that a college football team for now happens to play football in. Um, this is another point total in which the market decided was a mistake. I, this this one has no excuse. It was just a flat out mistake. It, they posted it at sixty one, and we're talking sixty seven now. I uh, you don't see totals move that uh, that much that often, uh, especially up. Um, I could see why. I, you know, Georgia Tech allowed 30-plus points in, in four of their last six games. The only team that they held under 21 was Virginia, and they finished the year 115th in points per drive allowed. Uh, but offensively, they've been able to keep up. They also scored 30-plus in three of their last six games and never fewer than 21. So Haynes King does have this offense chugging along pretty good. UCF on the other side, they uh, led the Big 12 in total offense. They're top 30 in points per drive scored. Uh, but on defense, their secondary is a little bit thin with opt-outs, transfers, and injuries. So do keep an eye on that. I think that's why you're seeing the total soar so high. Uh, it does look like the defense improved for UCF if you just glance at the scores. But they played Oklahoma State without healthy Ollie Gordon. Ollie Gordon played in that game, but he was not healthy. That was a big letdown after Bedlam. They allowed over 400 combined rushing yards to Texas Tech and Cincinnati. Uh, Texas Tech, great rushing team. Cincinnati, not so much. And then they beat Houston after the team just quit on Dana Holgerson and, you know, he got fired the next day. So that's where you're seeing the improvement, quote-unquote, on defense. I don't know that it really is truly an improvement. I... Uh, like the last game we talked about, look, if, if you're going to be betting underdogs in these high-scoring affairs, just take them outright. So if you're backing UCF, I would think about a play to the under. And if you're backing Georgia Tech, I would take them outright. Five-game losing skids, Brett. That must be the theme of this episode. First Goodness. it was Marshall, then it was Syracuse, now it's UCF. UCF had the opposite phenomenon as their rivals here, USF, who, as you're talking about where they're playing this game, where USF plays their home games, while the Bulls overachieved win-loss expectations despite a relatively unchanged power rating, the Knights fell short of win-loss expectations. 
despite a relatively unchanged power rating. They entered the year number 33, and I projected UCF to win 7.3 games, the highest of any of the Big 12 newcomers. While UCF did finish higher than their three newbie counterparts in the conference standings, a 6-6 six and six finish can only be described as disappointing, Brett. The 45-3 to three win against Oklahoma State remains one of the wildest score lines of this season. I, I know what you, yeah. you're talking about. You know, Ollie Gordon wasn't healthy. Oklahoma State's coming off Bedlam. I think um, my model definitely picked um, picked uh, UCF to cover in that game. I think you picked them outright to win even uh, against Oklahoma State in this one. But still, 45-3, to I mean, it was just a dismantling. One of the craziest outcomes that we've had this year. Um, and this was the best UCF team by my numbers since the 2020 COVID-disrupted season. So I still think the future in the Big 12 is bright for the Knights even though they didn't really get to the win-loss record that we had projected for them coming into this year. While UCF fell about a win and a half short of expectations, Brett, Georgia Tech exceeded those preseason realistic expectations by about that same margin. In the preseason, my numbers assigned just a 22% chance for the Yellow Jackets to go bowling, and here they are. So credit to Georgia Tech. I mean, one and four, and you or one, one and five almost. You turn it around and get it done. It was a great year in Atlanta. Uh, this was the best team that this program has fielded since 2018, per my numbers. Perhaps the wildest game of the entire season uh, Georgia Tech beating Miami on the road when all the Canes had to do with possession of the ball was just kneel. And literally, the game would have been over. Of course, we know how it went. To this day, I still cannot believe that that is how that game ended. Without too many opt-outs or other factors to consider in this game, Brett, kind of as you outlined there, my model is probably a little bit more in play for this game than some of the other bowl games. The model has UCF minus six. Uh, Both offenses should have the advantage in this game, as you mentioned, with that total being bet up. But the Georgia Tech defense is by far the worst unit on this field, the only unit outside the top 50 nationally, ranking number 94, Brett. I think UCF would have maybe even exceeded your preseason win expectations should they have had John Rice Plumley healthy for the entire season. But, you know, you had Timmy Chang running around and they had that equal, uh, almost equally ridiculous game against Baylor uh, that had that massive comeback at the end of the game there. Uh, so, you know, a lot, it was, it was a frustrating season, certainly uh, in Orlando. Uh, if you're looking at props for this game, if you have props available to you, I like John Rice Plumley over his rushing yards. Uh, you know, Tech Georgia Tech has not played Many super mobile quarterbacks, but when they do, they've gotten crushed. Over 125 rushing yards and two touchdowns each to Jackson Dart and Thomas Castellanos over the course of the season. Uh, in um, you know, even Syracuse's converted tight end that I talked about in the last breakdown that he rushed for 81 yards on this team. That he was technically playing quarterback there. So anyway, it's probably John Rice Plumley's last game. I've said it before. I don't know how long these kids can play for. I, he might have three more years of eligibility that I don't know about. But if it is, I do expect him to be a large part of this offense, a larger part of the offense, and try to really will and carry this team to a victory in his last game in Orlando. But hop on over to our Discord server where you can connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in our college football channel. There you can join a sharp and very active community. And don't forget to subscribe to Lines YouTube for college football odds and betting videos for the remainder of bowl season. And subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever you're using these days. Drop us a good review, continue leaving comments, let us know where you land on these bowl games. Kelly, before we officially close up shop, please let everybody listening know where they can find your work. Absolutely. You can find me on X at KFord Ratings, the website, kfordratings.com, and over at, at thelines.com. 
Well, thank you so much as always for watching. I'm Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. We'll see you all next time.